You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris, and today I have another great interview with somebody that works with animals day in, day out, and that's Jim Winepress from the Seneca Park Zoo. Hello, Jim. Hi, how's it going? Good, good. And thank you so much for reaching out to us. It's Angie and I get really excited, especially talking to people like you that that work with animals each day, you know, her being a former keeper, me working with a bunch of keepers. So thanks for reaching out, and we're, we're really lucky to have you. Oh, thanks. I'm super excited to be here. I actually discovered this podcast from a Facebook group just for zookeepers, and we were yeah. talking about what are your favorite podcasts, and this one came up, and I was like, oh, I have to check this one out, and I completely fell in love with it, so it's, it's an honor to be talking with you today on this uh, podcast. It's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. It's the animal keeper community, or the, the animal community is, is pretty small. Like, you know, we, we, we run with the same people, and, you know, it's great that Angie and I can can keep reaching out and trying to develop this web of information. Yeah, we really, you know, this week was we got to cover naked mole rats, which was awesome. But before we jump into animals and stuff, can you just kind of give us a, a brief background on like where you grew up, how you got involved in conservation and working in zoos? Yeah, of course. Um, I've always been an animal lover ever since I was a little kid, and I'm still very much that um, mindset of that little boy who wants to look under rocks, you know, and see what's living under there. So that was always in me. Uh, I went to, um, SUNY Fredonia, um, in New York and majored in psychology. Uh, a lot of people don't understand how psychology fits into what we do, but we do so much husbandry training, you know, with opera conditioning, positive reinforcement that it does really play into it. Um, mm -hmm. I was able to intern and volunteer, um, at the Buffalo Zoo, um, and at a facility down in the Florida Keys with, uh, dolphins and California sea lions. And that mm -hmm. was kind of my stepping off point into figuring out, you know, what the field is really like. And actually was like a working interview for me because that facility down in the Florida Keys hired me before I actually graduated. So I was fortunate enough to uh -huh. graduate from college saying, I'm going to be a dolphin trainer. It was a really good feeling. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. No, yeah, it's funny. It's because like I talked to a lot of people. They're always like, oh, I want to be a dolphin trainer. So you know, like Autumn Lindy, uh, who we interviewed a couple weeks ago on Red Wolves. And, you know, I, I just wanted to highlight one of the similar themes talking to zookeepers, people in the field, is find that intern experience. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I, yeah, I 
to all my students at, when I was a professor at UF, I would tell them, go to the AZA job board if you're in the United States or wherever you are in the world, look for your local accrediting association and job board and look for internships because there's always a bunch. Oh, yeah. And that's a great way to get in. So, yeah, so let's talk about the dolphin experience, I guess, because that is amazing. And I know so many people would just love to work with dolphins. And so can you just kind of sum up what you did? Like, I, I guess – First, what was your each day like working with them? Uh, it was a lot of fun. So living in the Florida Keys was fantastic. Um, and mm-hmm. the staff w- was like a family, you know, and that's so important when you work in the animal care field. Um, and so every single day it was diet prep. You know, we dealt with a lot of fish and some squid. So you never smelled good, but that was expected. Mm-hmm. Um, making sure that their diets, their vitamins were all prepped up. Um, we were an interaction facility, so having the early team meeting, uh, knowing the numbers for the day, you know, how many guests are we going to have, um, what kind of training needs mm-hmm. to take place, where do people need to go, you know, um, was a big part of it. And then really just going with the flow, you know, um, going down, checking out the animals, um, making sure they are behaving, acting as they usually do, um, and taking guests um, doing a whole lot of educating, making it as engaging as it can mm-hmm. for them, you know, because mm-hmm. with every facility, the goal is to educate and entertain, basically. You know, you want to make right. sure that people right. are having, are in such a, a fun environment that they almost learn without realizing it. Um, and, and that was right. definitely the case here. We talk about dolphin physiology and tie that into the interaction that they would have with them, um, you know, and then also tie in the, con- the conservation aspect of it as well. Right. It's, you know, it, it's such a sticky situation and that's not what this interview is about, but you know, there's one thing I, I think it was Jack Hanna or, or one of them coined the term edutainment. Oh, yeah. So, you know, using entertainment to educate people. And I think that's okay. You know, I, I did it in my teaching methods at the university. I mean, I got teacher of the year because I made my classes fun. You know, we did games and we, and we learned and my students, you know, I actually did actual research where my students learned better when we were having fun versus the same old boring, you know, oh, here I am lecturing every day, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 right? So with animal encounters, I guess one thing, you know, we can maybe talk about real quick is just to make sure listeners feel comfortable that the animals are like really taken care of because, I mean, quality of life. And I know that's something Angie was really big, especially when we talked to Corp and Maxie, you know, being a keeper – you know, can you describe the steps you take to make sure those animals are healthy and happy? Oh, yeah. You know, animal welfare is, is always a top priority, which is something that I always respect about the field and I expect from the field as well is those animals, they, that their welfare always comes first. You know, our quality of work is their quality of life. So that's really, really important mm-hmm. to me. Um, but no matter what kind of facility you work at, whether it's, you know, got a real emphasis on education, um, or it is an interaction facility, you know, um, making sure that the animals are thriving. Um, is always top priority. Um, and mm-hmm. the, the people who are visiting there, they, they need to understand that. And they, you know, and they usually do. And right. that's actually what they look for in a facility because, you know, people don't want to visit a facility just to see animals anymore. They want to visit a facility that they know the animals are well taken care of. And just, you know, whether it's a, a, a dolphin or a naked mole rat, um, you want to make sure that you're, you know, the animals, um, both in terms of who they are as a species and who they are as an individual. Um, making sure right. that they're, um, showing those appropriate natural behaviors that you want to see. But then also, you know, you're acting normal for Bob. You know, Bob the dolphin, that's how right, Bob right. acts. So we know right, um, that right. he's experiencing a high level of welfare because this is a typical behavior of him. 
So just, you know, learning, learning to see the details every single day. Right, right. And I, you know, I, my, my, my motivation in asking this question is because I know, you know, what goes on behind the Mm -hmm. scenes. I know I've been there. I've seen it. You know, I am a diehard animal conservation, you know, animal welfare is a big priority making sure these animals are taken care of, but I'm also a big defender of zoos and aquariums because I really think we need the public engaged, you know, like edutainment. We need them interested, not just the people that listen to this podcast who are animal diehards, most of us, it's, you know, the general public that doesn't study this stuff, doesn't understand, you know, dolphins, doesn't understand whales, doesn't understand naked mole rats. So using, you know, zoos and aquariums, I really think there's a lot of misinformation out there for the average person and they don't understand what's going on. So, you know, that's great. That's really great. So after you left uh, the Keys, where did you go? Um, After that, I went out west and spent about four years working um, at the Utah's Hogle Zoo in Salt Lake City, um, which was really cool. So that was my first introduction to African elephants. So with working with marine mammals, you know, all your interactions with him, they're in the water you know, and you're in the dock, so you're usually looking down towards them. Mm-hmm. This is the first time I ever had to look up at an animal. And that, that was a really different right. experience for me. Um, and I got to work with, um, three females, um, one that wasn't even a year old yet, and then two adults, um, one that was the, um, oldest female in the country at the time for African mm-hmm. elephants. So that was quite the experience. Uh, after a couple of years of working with them, we opened a new area called Rocky Shores um, and brought in some rescued mm-hmm. sea lions and harbor seals, a couple of rescued grizzly bears, polar bear, some really cool animals and got some great experience working with them. Oh yeah. It's, it's, yeah, elephants are my, my favorite animal and I'm wrapping up. Hey, I'm still, I'm, even though I'm living here in New Zealand, I still have a, a grad student that I'm helping mentor that she's back there in Florida still doing elephant research. So, you know, uh, again, another, another big species in captivity that, that some people are like, uh, you know, put them in the wild. I don't know. There was some uh, recently a big thing about the LA zoo and elephants and they shouldn't be in captivity. Oh, yeah. And it just, as a, uh, as somebody seen the, the big picture, you know, globally, what's going on with elephants and globally, mm-hmm. you know, with poaching and the loss of environment, we need some animals in captivity as an emergency reserve. So. Again, I just want the listeners to know these animals are so well taken care of. They are babied. They are 24-7 medical care, 24-7 feed. And, you know, right now I know specifically with elephants at our current rates in captivity, all elephants should be within 50 years or there'll be like no elephants in captivity. And then within 20 to 30 years, there's a possibility of no elephants in the wild. So... Again, species in crisis, and, and, and we're going on tangents, but, you know, it's just you worked with another of the big ones that, you know, right. it's just, oh. So what was it like working with them each day? You know, they are a species that will challenge you every single day. You know, I've never had an, worked with an animal that watches your behavior um, as much as you watch theirs. And, you know, during a training session, they're trying to train you, you know, and that mm-hmm. is just such mm-hmm. a, a huge sign of their intelligence. And it, it's, it's incredible, especially when you realize, oh, I've, I've been trained successfully by an elephant. You know, it just, <laughs> it's quite the experience. But they are such strong ambassadors in terms of what's going on um, in Africa and all over the world with those large um, megafauna, you know, that are mm-hmm. in such mm-hmm. peril right now. Um, so mm-hmm. they're a great ambassador species to be able to talk about because, 
they capture people's hearts. They can't stop staring at them. Right. And they're just, they're just a behavior that's physiology um, and behavior just are amazing. Right. Right. I mean, they, you know, I, since we've been talking, an elephant's been poached. I mean, every 15 minutes, an elephant's killed for their tusks. Yeah. Uh, so it's just, you know, it's horrible what's going on in, in Africa with them mainly. And then some parts of India, too, with the Indian elephants. A lot of pressure there. So you worked with elephants. And then what else did you at the at that zoo? I, I returned to my, my love of marine marine mammals. You know, California sea lions just have a special place in my heart. Um, so getting to work with them, you know, like I said, we had three, three green sea lions come in, all rescued. Um, two were youngsters, not even one year old yet. And then, uh, we had this one male come in. He came in at 875 pounds, huge animal. His name wow. was Big Guy, um, completely blind, mm-hmm. had, had some type of human conflict out in the ocean and was blind and had lots of scars on his face. Probably one of the most visually intimidating animals I've ever seen in my life, but probably one of the most mm-hmm. easy going animals, most easy going animals I've ever worked with, um, in terms of his adaptability to new situations, um, and intelligence and training. Just a truly remarkable animal that once again, people couldn't take their eyes off him and he was an, a great animal to be able right. to show people, you know, this is why sea lions, this is why marine animals are so incredible, you know. Right. So can you talk, because I did want to, I know you did work with some marine mammals. And so with a a sea lion, you know, what's your, what do they eat? Like how often do you feed them? They're just such big creatures, you know, so I imagine just tons and tons of fish each day. But Yeah. And you know, and, and their diet, just like any species is going to depend on, you know, their age, their size, their body condition, their behavior. Um, but depending on the facility you work at, you know, these animals are eating three to four, five times a day. Honestly, the more, um, sessions you can have with those animals, um, you know, a lot of smaller meals, the, the better it is. Um, cause those animals, mm-hmm. um, in their natural habitat are out hunting for hours at a time. You know, that's just the way that they are. Mm-hmm. So a lot of small meals are great. And, you know, from a keeper standpoint, that's just more opportunities to work with them and do some successful training. Um, but they love everything from, uh, species of capelin, herring, mackerel, squid, uh, silver sides, smelts. Um, it's going to vary from facility to facility, um, but a whole lot of different species of fish that they're swallowing completely whole. <laughs> right, right. And so, how do, you, do you, I mean, do you know where you guys sourced your your fish? Because if you're in the middle of the country, it's kind of hard, right? I mean, I grew up in California, so you know, fresh fish pretty much easily anywhere. But in in the middle of the country, how did you how did you guys get all that fish? Uh, all I know is that, you know, the zoo would place their orders. There are companies out there that, you know, specialize in providing lots of fish, um, purely for zoological facilities and aquariums. So we had a big holding storage area that we would very often have to take a truck to, you know, and put hundreds of pounds of these boxes of fish, um, bring it to mm-hmm. our freezer. And then, you know, uh, making sure that the food that we're feeding our animals is healthiest and safe is such a high priority for us that, you know, the thawing process, it needs to be done quickly enough so um it's completely thawed but at the same time it hasn't been sitting out um so we would go through it very quickly no and i'm glad yeah i'm glad you said that because again people <laughs> don't understand there's so much that goes into carrying these animals it's not just like oh hey let me pull out a packet of of salmon that's been sitting out for days and throw it to the animal it's like no you're very carefully preparing these diets before you feed them out so you know no oh, yeah I- Every every food item, you know, whether it's a, a sweet potato you're feeding to an elephant or um, a capelin that you're feeding to a sea lion, you know, we look at all of them. We look it over. Um, 
it's got to be, we want it to be to a quality in which a human would eat it. Right. You know, I'm not going to eat a capelin, but it needs yeah. to look clean. Yeah, it needs to look healthy. Yeah. Uh, with, <laughs> if not, you know, when in doubt, throw it out. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. You know, the, the zoo just doesn't feed, you know, scraps that it's, it's very well, uh, uh, looked after. So how'd you get to Seneca Park? Um, well, Seneca Park Zoo is my hometown zoo. So the zoo holds a special place in my heart because like a lot of people, you know, if you interview a lot of zookeepers, um, you know, their first real experience and interaction with, um, wildlife, with animals, um, was when they visited a zoo. And that's exactly what Seneca Park Zoo was for me. You know, my first up close look at an elephant, a sea lion, um, this, their smells, their sounds, that all happened there. Cause I grew up in a small town right outside of Rochester, New York. Um, and so mm-hmm. making it back to Rochester, not only to, you know, be closer to family and be where I grew up, but working at this zoo that had such an impact on me was a huge personal professional goal. Um, so mm-hmm. being back here for the last three years has been a dream come true. It's been fantastic. Yeah. So you've been there about three years and, and been a, a keeper there. Yep. Yeah, so uh, by title, I'm an elephant handler, so I'm still involved with um, our herd. We have four wonderful females, African elephants, that live there. Um, but since we are a smaller facility at around, like, 15 and a half acres, uh, we do a lot of different things. We get cross-trained all over the place, which is really a good thing. Um, so, you know, I work with um, all the sea lions in our sea lion department. I'm primary keeper for our African lions. There are a lot of other smaller species that I work with. You'll like this. I get to work with our raccoons, which um, (laughs) I I was so blown away by how much I enjoy working with them. Oh, they're awesome. Yeah, they're great. No, they, um, so we did, my wife and I did uh, wildlife rehab in South Carolina when I was a professor at Clemson. And we couldn't do raccoons because we weren't, we didn't get our rabies shots. The rabies shots were going to be like 700 bucks to get uh, vaccinated. And, you know, they're a, they're a carrier. So we couldn't, but I remember going to one of the other uh, rehab facilities and she did, and she was certified for raccoons and she literally had 40 raccoons, I think in about like 10 different cages, Oh wow! Uh, big, big, like outdoor exhibits almost. They weren't like little cages, but they were like big holding areas. And they're really hard to rehab because you have to train them. I mean, again, it's it's one of those. So yeah, they're awesome. Oh god. So <laughs> raccoons, seals, elephants, and now naked mole rats, right? It's it's good to have a nice uh, diverse group of species to work with. And that, that's what that's what keeps life exciting. Right. So I guess let's let's ask about lions. So what do you feed the lions? You know, do you feed them daily? Do you feed them every other day? Uh yeah, so so six days out of the week, our lions um, eat food. Um, we have a fasting day where they usually just get a, a small bone, um, you know, something something to gnaw on that um, keeps them engaged, but not really giving them a ton of meat, um, just because in Africa they wouldn't be eating every day anyways. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're we're really fortunate. Um, we get to we get to give them a nice diverse diet. Now they do, of course, have. Um, the meat that is made specifically for large cats, you know, it has all their vitamins and minerals in it. So that has to be a part of their daily diet. But our veterinary staff is amazing. And we're allowed to give them so many different novel food items, like from chicken, beef, pork, goat, um, full deer, um, right. just so many different food items. And it's always cool to see their reaction to it. You know, they, they love eating, um, right. chicken. They absolutely love pork. Who does, who doesn't love eating pork? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 they, uh, yeah, they're, they're special. They are impressive too. So. Oh, they always are. Yeah. yeah. They, uh, and, and, uh, yeah, their paws are just so huge, but you're really up close and personal with them. So 
what's your, I guess, what's your favorite animal that you've worked with? The sea lions? That is tough. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, I got, I got to say, you know, maybe it's because they're one of the first species I ever worked with. They'll always hold a special place in my heart. But I think, you know, working at Seneca Park um, in my past experience, you know, getting to work with the animals that you never thought you would and just really experience them. Like, oh, my gosh, this is such an incredible species. I'm so glad I'm getting to know them. I'm getting to know these individuals, you know, and um, lions, like you said, are they're such amazing animals to look at. But I've completely fallen in love with our three lions. Yeah. You know, I, I read about them. I talk about them um, for interpretation, educational purposes, every chance I get. Right. Um, so I say a, a good day for me is lions and lions, sea lions and African lions. Right, right, yeah, no, that, yeah, those are they're all they're all amazing and you know just uh, great creatures to work with. So you know you 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 reached out and said, hey, you should do naked mole rats. It was one of the species you mentioned, and, and Angie and I were like, yeah, that is a great idea. So you guys are getting them soon, right? You're preparing to get them? Yeah, our zoo is undergoing um, a big expansion right now, and we have a, a about a four-and-a-half-acre um, African expansion being put on at the far end of our zoo, and it's going to include... Uh, giraffe, zebra, ostrich, uh, a rhino is moving down there. Um, but what the zoo is doing, which I really like, is uh, they're going to be um, teaching the public about a lot of the smaller species that live in Africa um, that, that, you know, people don't usually think of, but when they do think, you know, they think of giraffe, they think of zebra, mm-hmm. elephants. And one of those is a naked mole rat. And that I'm most excited mm-hmm. for these little unknown rodents to, you know, get some much-needed attention. Right, right. So you guys are getting them in soon. Where I guess where are you getting them from? I believe they're coming from another facility. Right. right. Um, yeah, I, I did. My wife did get to work with them a little bit at the San Antonio Zoo, so I, I have seen them up close, and they are just uh, Angie's going to hate me. They're so hideous, ugly. They're amazing. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. They're amazing. They're amazing little creatures, but man, they're just like out of a nightmare. <laughs> But, you know, I think that's what keeps people looking at them is like, oh, gross, look at those. And then 10 minutes later, they can't take their eyes off them. You know, that's what makes them um, so great is like, oh, my gosh, look at these things. Um, You know, I've been doing a lot of reading about them, and they've been described as uh, saber-toothed sausages. Like, that's just perfect for (laughs) them. (laughs) They are, they are. Yeah, totally, totally. So as you guys get ready to to take care of these animals, I mean, I know your winters are going to be freezing cold. And, you know, they need a lot of special care, right? So what are some of the things you're, you're doing now? So when they come, it's like, boom, they're, they're there safe and happy and healthy. Right. Yeah. We're just getting over a winter in New York that we all were pretty sure would never end. So, yeah. you know, when we have animals with such specific requirements, such as naked mole rats, um, making sure that the colony is going to be held in an environment that's, you know, conducive to, High levels of welfare is so important. So we know that they need high humidity. We know that they need kind of constant warm temperatures. Um, that all goes into uh, what the exhibit is going to be for them. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, it'll all be inside. They, they won't have to experience any of that. They won't be like the zookeepers who will be outside. Um, but making right, sure right. that, um, you know, because they, they are tunnelers. They do live in fairly um, varied sized colonies. Um, we're going to want to make sure that they have all the space and it's nice and quiet for them so people can still look at them and experience them and enjoy them. But since they are underground animals, they can be sensitive to vibration. And that's one thing that we're really paying attention to, um, making sure that they're, they're at peace to do all their work in right. their underground tunnel um, while all of our guests get to enjoy them. Right, right. I think they're just, you know, they're just a really 
misunderstood animal. And, and and I will tell the listeners I'm recording this before Angie and I do our Naked Mole Rat episode. So we're going to release it right after we we do it. So some of my research ha- hasn't been done. I'm just kind of going off what I remember with them. But it's like one of it's almost like, you know, I know a lot about honeybees now thanks to my wife and her PhD work. But, you know, there's a queen, right? And she runs the colony. Yeah, they're much more like an ant colony than they are like any other group of mammals you'd see. Um, They're one of only two eusocial mammal species on the planet, which makes them so unique. And eusocial basically means um, that all the members of the colony have specialized roles, almost like you would see in an ant colony. Um, And there's a queen, um, there are soldiers, there are mole rats that specifically dig, there are mole rats that specifically care for the young. Um, And the other species is another species of mole rat found in South Africa. So um, closely related. Right. So um, they're truly unique. Yeah. Yeah. No, they are. They are really a, a, a unique mammal. And it's just so amazing, you know, talking to all these different species and how they've all evolved to survive, you know, in such a, you know, the wild's harsh, you know, it's, it's a harsh place. Yeah. There, there's no part yeah, of so... Africa that I think any animal has it too easy. <laughs> No, no, I don't think so. Nowhere. It's just, you know, oh man. So, you know, being a keeper, day in, day out, you know, you, you get to, to work with these animals. Do you have any like funny animal stories? Oh yeah. Oh, endless amounts of entertaining animal stories. Yeah. Um, so at the beginning of my career, uh, I worked with probably one of the most interesting animals ever to be. Her name was Castaway. Um, she was a rescued offshore Atlantic bottlenose dolphin. So she looked slightly different um, than the typical bottlenose dolphin you think of, you know, when you think of dolphins. Um, mm-hmm. She had been found in Castaway Cove, which is where she got her name. They had tried to release her four times and she kept following the boat back and was showing really abnormal behaviors. Um, right, they right. found out that she um, had most likely had a stroke, which... Um, caused her to lose her hearing. Uh, she was cognitively delayed um, and partially blind. Um, so the people who worked at Dolphins Plus, which is the name of the facility where I, I was at, um, did so much rehab work with her and really you know, brought her back from this severely disabled animal um, to this, this animal that, that thrived. And it was a, such a learning experience for everyone involved with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was charged with training her. Um, one of the first behaviors I ever trained was to have her swim voluntarily into a stretcher. Um, you know, to have an animal swim into a stretcher right. is a really important husbandry behavior, um, making sure that the animal feels comfortable, um, but making sure that they're somewhere where if we needed to do any type of medical procedure on them, um, it could be it could be done safely there. Um, you know, for right. you would think, okay, this animal is a free swing animal. Um, you know, the stretcher is it's going to take a lot of time to get her comfortable swimming through this. What we found out was she found it very rewarding to be part of the stretcher, and she would r- rock it at us as fast as she could. So that was definitely a unique experience for right, us right. to uh, <laughs> have this animal. I thought, right, okay, right, baby right. steps. Oh wait, you're moving a lot faster. Oh my gosh, you're coming right at me. And then the hardest part was actually getting her <laughs> out of the stretcher. Like she just wanted to be there. It was right. very rewarding for her. So that was great. Um, yeah. That was one of one of the first of a million times I'd be surprised by an animal. Um, right, right, yeah. They do they do some some crazy things. So you know, it's just it's, it's awesome. The you know, with marine mammals and I, I guess you said elephants, which haha, Angie, smartest animal. They train you. What did you notice a lot? Is there a big difference between carrying, say, for a marine mammal and a terrestrial mammal? So, like the difference between a lion and a sea lion. 
like just different uh, approaches? When I think about the care that goes into um, keeping both those species healthy, uh, I, it's, it's all in their demeanor. It, and it kind of comes down to mm-hmm. the niches that they fill in nature. Um, s- sea lions are just such fast-moving energetic animals you know they're, they're always up to something they're always looking around they're always investigating um and they do have you know a fast metabolism so they're usually pretty food motivated and, and then you go to the african lion and like i said earlier these animals don't necessarily need to eat every day you know they might eat a quarter of their body weight mm-hmm. in one feeding and then they'll sleep and sit around for the next two or three days um so that was a big adjustment mm-hmm. for me because lions are happy laying in the sun you know, they are the least active of the big cats, you know, 18 to 21 hours a day. They, right, right. they just conserve energy and relax. So, you know, usually if you call for a sea lion, that they're, they're, they're ready to go, you know, they're ready to interact. They're ready to look around. What are you up to? What do you have for me? What's going on? Where African lions, they might just look at you and yawn and they won't move for two to three hours. <laughs> so that, that's one of the right. biggest differences yeah, yeah. for me is, is their motivation. And that all comes down to, you know, their behavior and who they are as a species. Right, right. Yeah, no, they are. I mean, they, you know, you look at what African lions do each day and it's just conserving energy. You know, that's the, mm-hmm. the biology behind it. They don't, you know, they, they can't be up moving around. I mean, the males will go and guard their territories if they have a pride and, you know, the females expend energy, you know, hunting. So it's like, I guess in the, in the wild, you see the males are, you know, big lazy guys, but they're actually not. They're, they're busy. You know, making sure no other males come and take their females away and, you know, wants to pass on his genetics and the females are the ones who are like, Hey, we gotta, we gotta feed everybody. So yeah, yeah uh, you know, African lion males, they have a, they have a pretty tough life. I mean, only yeah. part of a pride for as, as long as they're strong enough to defend it, right. you know, it's, it's, it's pretty tough for them. Yeah. We're going to do, Angie just brought it up too. We're going to do lions soon because there's so much going on with them. And, you know, it's interesting. It's like, you know, you always think of a, a, a single male with a pride, but because of human activity, you know, now you're seeing two males typically taking over mm-hmm. a pride. And then it was, it was, oh, the Disney special big cats that came out a few years ago. Oh yeah. And they had five, five males. I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was five males. Like I was, astonished i actually it makes me want to watch it again when i saw the video footage of five males in one pride like it was breathtaking it was a dad and like all the sons it was breathtaking but in one sense it was incredibly sad because i knew that wasn't natural right. you know how they evolved so anyways yeah no that's it's great insight like this is this is cool this is giving a lot of people you know that don't work in zoos some of the background stuff that that goes on have you done any, I, I guess we'll talk about doing a, a knockdown, which for people is, you know, animals get knocked down. So a knockdown is when they, they get the animals drowsy and then the, the veterinarian can come in and do a vet check. So have you gotten to do knockdowns with the lions? Uh, yeah, I, I've been a part of that. Um, and, you, and you know, those knockdowns are so rare just because the majority yeah. of any husbandry behavior that needs to be trained, um, we can just do it voluntarily. You know, we, we work with mm-hmm. them. Um, but, you know, if, if we need to do a real intense physical, um, that may be necessary. And there's still a voluntary aspect to it, um, which is nice, you know, training the animal to experience on um, that little poke of the needle, um, which is always mm-hmm. a good way to go about that. But, yeah, I have. And it's 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 a real interesting thing. I, c- I could watch vets work all day their wealth of knowledge blows me away um mm-hmm. all the all the all the tests they run um 
everything they do in terms of studying the animal and making sure everything on the outside and on the inside of the animal um, is where it should be. And, you know, I just, I was just thinking like with a lion laid out, mm-hmm. like those paws that I, you know, I even see it on, you know, specials, you know, looking in the wild where they go out and check on it on lions and they, they, they look at the paws and the teeth and just, they're just incredible. And, Thankfully, the animals kind of knocked out because I would be, oh man, I would die of a heart attack if one was like charging me or in, in the wild. Oh yeah, the, the precautions that we, we take, you know, at every facility I've worked at, whenever that's happened, the precautions that go into making sure that animal is out, you know, before we go with that right. is just extraordinary. And I always appreciate yes, it. Yes. <laughs> yes, I imagine. I imagine. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, you know, working with veterinarians too, you know, throughout my career, you know, looking at the health of the animal. Um, there's a lot you can do. And like you said, the, you, you said the voluntary training. I remember one that came to my mind was watching, you know, at the, the Greenville Zoo in South Carolina, you know, they were training the orangutans to present their shoulders so they can get all their vaccinations and stuff and just give them a granola bar. They loved it. And they just sat there and they're like, okay. And, you know, give them a shot. And they're like, whatever. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, and that's the goal. Sorry about that. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, 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 no. Yeah. You're totally right. That's totally the yeah. goal. The so. goal is no, like, no matter what we do for it to be no big deal. You want training to be a game that you set the animals up to win, you know, so they get mm-hmm. a vaccine or they, they get an injection and they're like, oh, what happened? You know, all I got was my meatball and then their day goes yeah. on. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about like, you know, this is really great because, you know, doing the behind the scenes stuff, uh, enrichment, enrichment strategies, like what do you do, like say for the lions or sea lions, you know, all the different, the elephants. So, you know, enrichment to keep them engaged each day mentally. Yeah, um, of course. And, you know, in, in any good zoo or aquarium, enrichment is such a, a big part of our day. Um, and so much more goes into it than, you know, throwing a big ball out into an exhibit. Uh, so mm-hmm. j- just thinking, you know, thinking of the elephants, the lions, the sea lions, all those animals. Um, food enrichment is always um a good idea. You know, animals are always, uh, motivated by food. And it's really interesting when you put a, a, a treat, a novel treat or, um, a food item into an object. It's so interesting watching the animals use their mind and their body using different techniques to get that food out. Um, makes me think of the elephants that we have. Um, one of our elephants, Jenny C, she is just a pro. You know, like we put, food in any type of ball she will mm-hmm. pick it up you know or a large plastic box with a couple holes um she is just so meticulous in how she shakes it you know and she's got a good grip on it um mm-hmm. and she puts her trunk right over the hole and she knows it reminds me of those games growing up you know where you had to get the little um ball into the hole that that's what she's doing that's exactly what she's doing right, and then right. we have other elephants like right, moki right. and chana um are two slightly younger females and they just don't have that skill. So it's fun watching them. You know, they'll kick it. They'll kind of pick it up and shake it. Um, so it's great doing that um, and, and watching them learn and figure that out. Um, with our right, African right. lions, they do so much communication between each other and within their environment that um, involves smell, that sensory enrichment plays a huge role in um, what we provide them. Um, and you know what they lose their mind for is cumin. They really seem to like that. They, they, they'll roll in it oh, for yeah. so long. They, they'll, all three will come in and it's like they have no bones in their body. You know, they, they just uh, ride around and it's fantastic. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. So what are some of the enrichment strategies, say, for the marine mammals? Um, we do a lot of manipulative, um, which are, you know, any type of item that they can push around, they can grab in their environment. You know, they have those flippers, but they are surprisingly, um, 
they're strong and they're flexible, and so they can really manipulate objects, bring them around, um, grab them with their teeth. Uh, uh, we we give them a lot of ice cubes. I sometimes like to take uh, the the fish juice once the fish is thawed, and right. you can freeze that and make little fishicles. Um, they like to push those yeah. around as well. Um, one of our our youngsters, Mary Lou, um, she is mesmerized by anything going on at our underwater viewing. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, we'll be in there in the morning turning on lights and looking around and you look over across the room and you've got this face just staring at you. <laughs> it's like, it's a great way to start right. the day. Um, right. and it actually, it's fantastic because it gets guests really engaged one-on-one with her. Um, and one of our keepers realized that if you take a little Hot Wheels car and you know, almost play catch with it, um, pushing it, uh, along the plastic banner in front of the, um, window um she'll right. follow it back and forth you can take right. a tennis ball and you can throw it around and she'll follow yeah. it. she'll and that was really neat to learn you know not only do our sea lions like i said curious and interested in what's going on but this specific individual um finds interacting with humans underwater so rewarding and, and we love that and it's a great way to get our guests interacting one-on-one with them you know it's just keeping their minds engaged and you know, in the wild, it's it's not like they have twenty four seven entertainment like in you know humans. We think of you know, we always need our our minds engaged or whatever. In the wild, they're sleeping, they're hunting, and conserving energy. And so, in captivity, when they don't have to really hunt, you know, you need to do some of these things called enrichment to to keep them active and their minds engaged. So, you know, we don't see some of the, the bad stereotypic behaviors that, you know, you'd see, you know, years and years and years ago at zoos. It's awesome when we have these animals under human care. You know, what's some of the conservation stuff that Seneca Park's involved with right now? Um, what I like is Seneca Park pays a lot of attention to um, conservation initiatives um, far away, um, like in Indonesia with our orangutans um, in Madagascar. But we also do a lot locally which I think is also is really important mm-hmm. um, to us, you know, also appreciating the animals, like like raccoons, that you, you see around us, you know. Um, and right. it's always changing. Um, we're always making sure that we're um, either, you know, raising funds for or raising awareness, different organizations, uh, obviously, which reflect the mission of the zoo and, you know, some of the species that we care for. Um, but we have done work with the, you know, what I just talked about in a, in a talk I gave at a museum is, uh, the Chittenango snail. Have you ever heard of that species? Uh, no. Oh. I don't know. Oh, is it in the news lately? I don't, oh, where did I oh, get it? If it is, I haven't seen it. No, I, oh, no, okay, tell me. Tell it me. is the most endangered animal in New York State, and it is this tiny oh. little snail that's like the size of a, a large grain of rice. Um, oh, and wow. they're only found in, Chittenango State Park in Syracuse, New York. Um, and a number of organizations has done some really good work in terms of understanding the population, which consists of like the, the splash zone of one waterfall. That's the only place where they exist, mm-hmm. um, as far as we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been able, and I personally have been able to go out and help um, collect them in order to have them marked, counted. Um, they're also being outcompeted by an invasive species of snail. Um, and they're just trying to understand the needs of the animals um, in their natural habitat um, to better understand, you know, how, and how to keep providing um, quality care for the populations that we have under human care, which are so important. Um, so that was something really cool right, I got to right. do. Um, we also do a lot of work with sturgeon, which if you ever want to do a podcast about those, sturgeon are such cool animals. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, we'll put that yeah. down. Yeah. 
and and they're this you know you could call them a living fossil. They've been on this planet since the Mesozoic, which I you know being anything with paleontology, I really like. Um, yeah. And they're right they're right in our backyard in terms of being in Rochester, New York. And so in terms of helping the a partnership with the U.S. Geological Service, you know, and reintroductions to um, the Genesee River that we have running right through our city, um, and then providing like a Head Start program in our facility where we we temporarily house. Um, young sturgeon till they get large enough for introduction. Um, mm-hmm. That's been really cool to see the zoo participate in that. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's amazing to listen to you talk about it. Cause I'm sitting there thinking, you know, everybody thinks, Oh, conservation. So everybody's doing elephants mm-hmm. or everybody's doing rhinos. And that's not true. You know, there are facilities that, that do the megafauna and focus on that. But, but your zoo is focusing on species that are, sounds to me like species that are really important to New York, your local communities. And, you know, then you're probably doing some broader, you know, worldwide international stuff, you know, just through stud books and things like that. But wow, that's amazing. You know, and I, 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 you know, for me, I know how to kind of answer this, but I want to ask you, why should we save this snail then? If it's, if it's on its way out, shouldn't we just, you know, a lot of people are saying, ah, let, just let this happen. Let nature take its course. Let these species go extinct. Why should we fight to save that you one You know, snail? I've heard you ask this question to a lot of different people in previous podcasts. And, <laughs> you know, the, when, <laughs> when critics say just let it happen, you know, it's natural. That's, that's such a, a lazy answer to me. That's such the easy way out. And, you know, I think, it's a combination of humans realizing that we are a part of the ecosystem with these animals. You know, we share the world with these animals, but also um, we're we're stewards. You know, we we do also. I, I feel like in a certain sense, we run this planet, and so it's our responsibility um, to maintain these species. You know, and maybe I'd feel differently if you know we could say there are these changes happening in the world um, that have nothing to do with human behavior. And, you know, we're seeing a decrease. Um, but in all my time, in the 10 years I have been working um, with animals and talking to people about conservation, I've never heard of a species like that. Um, you know, all, all the species that are in peril right now, they're in that situation in some way because of our activity. And, you know, just I feel it's our responsibility, um, not only just as living creatures caring for other living creatures, but every plant, every animal on this planet serves a purpose. Um and it's our responsibility to make sure that we're maintaining that really delicate food chain and ecosystem balance um, because we might not feel it right now, but we will be affected. You know, and I, I think we, in some places, people right. are starting to experience it already. So, you know, I'd rather be proactive than reactive. No, I, I appreciate it. And yeah, I do. That's like my big question because, mm-hmm. you know, it started way back before I started the podcast and hearing, you know, scientists and then just doing a little bit of, you know, research from reading press clippings and things and and some you're right it is lazy approach just throw their hands up oh we can't do anything about it oh well and i'm the opposite like you like no there are things we can do and saving that one snail that one snail has carved out its ecological niche there and you just can't let either an invasive species come in there or some or them go extinct without harming that local ecosystem you know so i could go back i mean i could talk about this one for hours like I go back to my frogs episode and I talk about the invasive species in frog song and, uh, anyways, it's, 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 it's complicated, but I appreciate it. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, so anything on naked mole rats that like you guys are, how soon are you getting them? Um, 
you know, probably we're we're due to open um, late this summer, so I'm guessing uh, pretty quickly. I'd say within the next month, um, we should be prepared to be um, caring for these animals, which to me is really exciting. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So then, um, yeah. So the Seneca Park Zoo, your, your home, you're working at your your dream. You, you're living the dream. Let me tell you. <laughs> I, I when Angie hears this and other people I've talked to, you know, you're working with such a broad range of species. It's amazing. It, it's I'm jealous. The so Seneca Park Zoo, your home. Um, what are some of the initiatives you guys have going on right now? You know, we we, we break it down into three categories. Um, we say we want to connect, care, and conserve. Um, so when we talk about connecting, we want people to come to the zoo and through up close experiences get to see these animals. You know, in a way that watching a YouTube video just can't, you know, can't provide them. Um, from right, there, right. that's such a, a great moving experience. You know, they go to our, they go to see our sea lions and they fall in love with our sea lion pup Bob. Um, and they're so taken by seeing this individual that they're like, you know what? Sea lions, pinnipeds are really cool. And they start doing their research about mm-hmm. pinnipeds and that moves, um, to them caring about conservation, saying, you know, what is going on in our oceans? You know, these animals are being caught in plastic. Um, what could I be doing to, re- to, to stop this right. from happening to, Bob's wild counterparts, um, you know, and next thing you know, you've got a person using reusable silverware straw, um, recycling everything that they can. Um, and we've done our job, you know, Bob served as the ambassador that we want him to be. Right. No, it is, it is. It's, you know, it's not just going back to edutainment or education, but it's also going back to, you know, how, how can we be more effective in getting people to conserve? And I know, you know, one of the things Angie and I always focus on is, you know, one little tip a week. And if everybody starts implementing that one little tip and you start developing these healthy habits, we're going to make a huge impact, you know, and that makes us happy and should make you happy, you know, being part of a, a huge community. All right. So favorite part of interviews is now Angie has mandated oh, me to this and that is animal sounds. <laughs> I don't know. We just had a, a hippo off with Corvin, Maxi, and Angie. I don't know if you got to listen to that one yet. It, it just came out today. But, so, can you do a sea lion sound? You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think about my go-to animal noises. And if we could go, okay, <laughs> I, I might be able to do a sea lion, but... African lion is better and actually worse for me, for anyone listening okay. to this. So okay. everyone thinks of like the Lion King, you know, when the male roars and it's all this big triumphant. Right. If you actually listen to a male lion vocalize, right. which that wasn't in the movie, it's actually like a dry heave. It's very much like a, that, that's exactly what they're doing. And right. I, I sound like I'm dry heaving, which is exactly <laughs> what I am doing. Um, but that's what they're doing, this weird like yeah. noise, but much, much more majestic and... <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. I actually, with the hippo episode, I actually spliced it. it sounds like so. I may find a, a lion and spliced please it do to save some of my. That's her big thing is, is I can't do it. I'm like, there's no way, you know, I just, uh, I'd have to sit there and uh, whatever. I just, <laughs> she's really good at it. And she's hilarious when she does it. So thank you. Thanks for being a good sport on that. Um, 
So we hit on most of the stuff. I mean, is there any other thing like you would want people to know about like what you do each day? I know you love your animals. Like I, it's so funny meeting so many zookeepers from around the world. I mean, here in New Zealand, you know, you're, you're animal people. You love your animals. That's why you do what you do. So is there anything else people you should, should know about, you know, what you do each day? Um, one of the biggest things I want people to take away, um, when it comes to understanding animal behavior is that while animals are, can be emotional beings, um, they aren't people, you know, um, and I've heard you mention on the podcast before, um, trying to be anthropomorphic. Um, but we experience so much of that in the questions and concerns people have at the zoo. And, And we love the fact that people are concerned and that they have questions, always ask questions. Um, but we always, people always seem to think that, um, these animals are motivated by, um, human motivation, human emotion. And, and that just always leads to some really inaccurate interpretation of animal behavior. Um, mm-hmm. We always want to make sure that, you know, that they do their research, you know, any facility that they visit, um, they should be able to ask the animal care specialists that they come across, you know, how they care for them, um, you know, what they're doing for conservation and all that. That's really important to me. Okay, good. No, thanks. Yeah, it's, it is, it is. And it's, you know, there's so much that goes into caring for these animals and, you know, zoos are not what they were a hundred years ago. Aquariums are not what they were, you know, 10 years ago. They mm-hmm. they have really changed a lot recently. So, you know, it's good that people have concerns for the animals. They should. That, that, that actually shows a lot to me. I like that. Instead of, yeah, you go from one extreme of we don't care about them to the other extreme where, you know, you might care a little bit too much for them, I guess. I don't know. It's, you know, one of the things in the podcast I like to get across is these animals are highly intelligent. They do have feelings. They do have emotions. They're just not human level, human, like you said, human motivation. And caring for them, you know, you guys, the care specialists, know a lot about their psychology, their behavior, things like that. So it's good to hear from you, you know, what your take on, on that issue and then just the other point is, you know, Angie and I always talk about is these emergency populations in the wild, like with the red wolf, great example of another species in crisis, going to go extinct in the wild again. And thankfully we have 200 in captivity, so we can try to reintroduce them somewhere, maybe not North Carolina, maybe somewhere else mm-hmm. where they can be cared for and where they can thrive. So yeah, really important mission. So I guess uh, my final question, because I've, I've taken up almost an hour of your time, is how can we help? How can we help Seneca Park or any causes that you really care you about? Know, you know, you can come and visit Seneca Park and come say hi to me. Um, you know, just by just yeah. by passing <laughs> through the gate, you're you're doing something good for conservation, which is you know what you just talked about. So important, just doing those little things. Everyone doing a little bit goes a long way. Um, you know, or, or go visit your local zoo. Go ask questions. Go to an aquarium. Um, if you see a piece of trash, pick it up. Anytime you can, you can reduce the plastics, which is just everywhere. Um, do your best to do that. Um, that's one of the things I, I want to take away is you know living an environmentally uh, friendly life and coexisting well with um, wildlife. It doesn't require a radical change in your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like with an animal. It's just learning a new behavior. Just little things, little things you can do. And if we all do it, then it makes a big impact. You know, you may not feel like you're doing much, but when we do it collectively, it, it really, really makes a big difference and it, it'll affect the animals. You know, it, it really has a big effect. So, well, Jim, Jim Winepress at the Seneca Park Zoo. He said it. Go see him. Uh, you know, thanks for your time. Thanks for reaching out to us. You know, it's, 
it's awesome to talk to, you know, people from around the world again. Here's somebody that day in, day out, they live, breathe, uh, animal conservation, education, you know, and he gets to work with some amazing creatures. So go check him out, Seneca Park Zoo. I know if I'm ever in that area, I will definitely come by and let you know. Uh, I don't know when I'm coming back to the States, you know, sometime Christmas time. But, uh, no, thanks for your time and, and uh, take care. Ah, thank you. Same to you.